Hey everyone, how are you doing today? I have a special session for you today. I'm actually partnering up or collaborating with Dion from Dion Talk. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Mike. Howdy. <laughs> howdy. I love how you just entered. That's how all your videos are. It's howdy. That, you're just, you start in real life. Thing. In real life, that's how I say hi to everybody. And I think it trips them up because no one knows how to react. <laughs> so, oh, what do I do with that? <laughs> I just love it. You're awesome that way. But folks, what we're doing here is both Dion and I spend a lot of our time helping new investors. And we've both been doing this long enough, you know, bigger pockets community, Instagram, YouTube, uh, real estate meetups, where we see trends or mistakes or errors. And what we've done together is we've actually both brainstormed a list of 10. So there is a total of 20. What you're going to get in this video Saturday morning at 7 a.m. is the first 10. Dion will go through five and I will go through five. But you want to pay attention to the next 10, which will come out Sunday at 7 a.m. on Dion Talk. Isn't this fun, buddy? I'm actually, <laughs> I like these because I learn from you every time we do these. That's awesome. So I'm going to go first. So the very first mistake that I see new investors make is they bust their butt during the week, during their day job, you know, working seven to seven family responsibilities. And then they wake up and they think they can learn real estate on a Saturday or maybe even worse, a Saturday and Sunday. I do not believe that's how real estate investing works. I works. I believe, especially if you're in the market, right? If you're looking to buy, you've got to look every day. I've been doing this 20 years and have shared many times that I've missed very few days. However, starting today, May of 2021, the market is changing right now. And it is only my students who take the time to look 10 to 20 minutes a day that are seeing the changes. So I am sorry, you can't make it up with volume. I'm asking for 20 minutes a day, which is 140 minutes a week. So just over two hours. Some of you still push back and say, Mike, I'm willing to give you eight hours on Saturday or eight hours on the weekend. I say, don't bother. I want 20 minutes a day, Monday through Friday. If you insist on taking one day off, fine. But again, 20 years, I might've taken 20 days off. So the first mistake is thinking they can make it up on the weekends and not signing up for daily commitments. So that's my first one, Dion. And there are, there are two reasons why this is so important. Um, the first one, there have been many studies done that show in an eight hour day at work, how productive is a person? And it is somewhere between one and a half and three hours that an actual day of work equals outcome. So if you're doing eight hours on a Saturday, you're really doing a couple of hours of work. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is don't listen to an agent that says you have to list a house on Thursday or Friday because the most views will come in. Mm -hmm. In the current market, as there is more inventory coming out, I had like 12 pop up on my radar this morning from uh, my auto searches, awesome. and I'm used to one or two. But the, the duplex I'm under contract right now, uh, it hit the listing, I made my offer, offer was accepted all within four hours on a Wednesday. So if you're doing work on a Saturday, how many deals are you missing that come out during the week that you don't even get to see? But if you're doing some work every day, you have a better chance. Love it. And my first. first mistake in this video is picking the wrong strategy. Mm. I struggled with the names for the videos because, uh, you know, Dion Talk, my channel is, is fairly small. And I, I don't want to bring out all the haters and trolls too early on in, in that uh, timeline. But how to do a burr and why I don't. Mm. How to do a flip 
and why I don't. I couldn't just say, I don't want to flip or I don't want to burr. I would have just made people angry. Uh, but those are strategies that are very powerful, very effective, and they work great for people. But when you're just starting out, there's so much to learn. Even picking the strategy that you're going to use long-term, that if you add the elements that are in things like a burr or a flip or investing at a distance versus local, you just create so many chances for you to drop the ball that I think I've, I've seen newer investors try one or two deals and end up so negative that they never do it again. Yeah. I think that's a great one. I, I I see it all the time, right? You you go do an out of town burr as your first investment, your chances of success are not great. It's uh, routinely a, a frustration point I hear about all the time. So that's a really good one. Uh, the next one I have for you is really common today. And it was really common in 06, 07. Again, I've been doing this 20 years. So this is not my first hot market, but that is finding a deal and then getting suckered into a bidding war. Right. I'm a big guy that says, go learn your market, learn what average is, only make good or great offers. So I'm hearing from people all the time, Mike, congratulations. I wrote a great offer, but I found I was one of three or eight or 12. And I just needed a deal. I've been, I, I need a deal. I need a deal. I've been doing this for six months or 12 months and I'm not getting anything. So I raised my price 10 grand, 15 grand, 20 grand, and I got it. And you seem to have forgotten what a good or great deal is because. Now you're spending X amount more, your payment's going to go X amount more. And what it, what became, what was a good deal? If you're lucky as average, but I've seen many people turn good deals to bad deals. And what I want people to realize is it's okay to miss a deal. If you've done the homework, you've done your daily disciplines and your number seven, go write sevens and eights. And if you follow my course, you know what I'm talking about, but don't write a 7% yield or cash on cash and then up the price. So now it's five. That's not a deal in your, your market. So don't worry about bidding wars. This market will change. There's already more inventory. You talked about 12 listings showing up when there used to be two. I'm seeing the same things. The market is changing right now. Do your homework. Feel good about your homework. Don't get in bidding wars. The problem with the bidding war is you mix emotions into the math equation. And those two things don't go together. Uh, you know, don't fall in love with the deal. You know, don't chase one property. I love a cash on cash return of 10% or better. And if yeah. I can get that, I'll chase it up to that. But as soon as we hit that, um, you have to know your cutoff, know your, know your exit point. I love that. And in a slower market, uh, something like an escalation clause can set that up mm -hmm. to me because, you know, the, the list price is just a number that made sense to the seller. Yes. As a buyer, sometimes half of that is what makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. And sometimes thirty dollars or $40,000 more would still get the return that I want. Um, sometimes. Yeah. The problem that I also run into is <laughs> planning for problems. And I don't mean if a water heater breaks, these are the steps I'm going to take. Go call a tenant, find, get the water shut off, get a hold of, you know, I mean, expecting problems. Tenants are going to break things. You're going to have a vacancy. Tenants will break things on purpose. They'll punch holes in drywall. They'll pour cement down a drain. And those things are possibilities. So a lot of times a newer investor thinks, if everything goes great, here's how it's going to go. So when anything goes wrong, they're not hitting their expectations. And not expe I'm not saying expect everybody to be horrible, but when you're starting out, if you have one tenant, 
and everything is bad, you have 100%, 100% of your experience is bad. Mm. When you have, I'm at 14 units now, about to go to 16. Mm. When I have one bad tenant, I think, oh, that's tiny little percentage of what else is going on. And so planning for those problems makes it a lot easier to handle them when they come up because they're going to. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that one up. One thing that I've, you know, the mistake I made early on is I thought the answer lived in Excel, but this is a people business. If you're going to be a buy and hold landlord, people are going to be involved. And you know what? Not everybody's nice. Everybody has bad days. Stuff happens. And uh, yeah, I, I be, being expecting that to, is a great one. My next one is I actually have people that are in a rush. They think speed, urgency is the way to kind of dive into real estate. And that's really, that's a, that's, that's a recipe to lose money, right? I remember this, this thankfully hasn't happened in a decade, but I remember the last run up. And again, 06, 07 is very much like 21. Uh, somebody had a bunch of money from a stock sale. And they, they, I remember they told me, they're like, who, sh who should I meet in Fresno? I'm like, okay, here's my agent. And, and they said, great, I'm going to go meet them. So they did their thing. I didn't talk to him that day. I talked to him the next Monday and I'm like, great. What'd you see? You know, fully expecting to say, Hey, I saw this, I saw that. And he's like, great. We wrote three offers and I locked up two properties. I'm like, what, what just happened? <laughs> I mean, I spent months looking at the market and I saw all three of those deals. I didn't think either one of them was any good. Um, but he just was like, the money's in the account. If I don't put it to work, I'm going to lose it or spend it. So it's okay. I mean, especially in a market with no inventory, if you have to go get a separate account somewhere, put it there and just don't look at it. Um, it, it could work out, but man, being in a rush just makes me nervous. It's like, you're cutting corners. You're doing, you're not doing the work. It's just nothing that I preach. If, if you've ever been to a, a shooting range, <laughs> slow is smooth and smooth is fast. There you go. The faster you go, the more likely you are to make mistakes that cost you time. And as an investor, when you're starting out, you want, we all want it to go fast because we would like to get to the, you know, the goal quicker, but debt to income is a problem for a lot of new investors. Mm -hmm. And the way that I combated that, because I started out only making $17 an hour with a lot of bad debt. And mm -hmm. as a single parent with three kids, I moved into an apartment and I, a lot of times say I did this so that I could rent the house out and figure out if I can handle working full-time being a single parent and being a landlord. But what it also did is it provided rental income from my house on tax returns mm. that I then got to use with a lender to help offset my debt to income ratio. The next year it was like two years later when I started looking at a duplex, Nice. they were able to look at my debt to income from the income from the house and the other side of the duplex because I had a track record. So the, the person who locks up two properties under contract because they're so excited, they made three offers and got two could run into debt to income problems because they don't have the patience to prove to a lender that you're an investor who knows how to do this right. Yeah. No. Awesome. What else you got? Yeah. The next one. And that, so that brings me to the problem that I'm going to try to be as transparent about because a lot of the problems that we've been going over in these two videos are helping new investors. This is what we encounter the most, but this is something that was actually in my personal experience. Okay. Renting to friends or family <laughs> before yeah. you have systems in place. Yes. In the beginning, we might not have strong leases. We might not how to know how to handle communicating with a tenant. We don't know how to set expectations. 
I didn't know the binder strategy. I mean, how, how can you keep a tenant happy and get them to ask for a rent increase and get them to ask for a longer lease? That wasn't even into my mind yet. Hmm. And I rented to a friend and I <laughs> made every mistake you can imagine. So when rent was late, I didn't do anything. I didn't hold them accountable to the late fee because we didn't have a lease. We had used a handshake. Hmm. And so what I learned later is I'm 100% okay with renting to friends or family as long as it's run like a business and I have my leases in, in place and I set expectations early on. Um, but the newer investors seem like that they you can trust someone you know more than you can trust a stranger, which is oh. almost backwards mentality yeah. because a stranger has a contract with you. Yes. Someone yeah, I, you know yeah. has a relationship with you. I will, uh, you're a better guy than I. I will never rent to family and I will never rent to a friend. Never. I don't want to be put in that position. I want a contract and I want to co call the attorney. Get them out. <laughs> so yeah. Um, nope. Not going to do it. Not in my book. Good. Yeah. So my next one, I've got two more and, and, uh, these two kind of are similar, but very important to me. Uh, I live in California. It's a very expensive part of the world. And a lot of people bump into me or real estate meetups that are local and they scream, I can't buy in California. I'm going to buy somewhere cheap. And that word cheap sets me off. It's not, I'm going to buy a good deal or a high yield or something. It's I'm going to buy cheap. And you know how many times I've heard the statement and it's, I've heard it. it. It just sounds bad. They, I can buy a house for less than my car costs. How many times I've heard that? These people are driving $100,000 Teslas and stuff. I'm like, so? Is that, I mean, because you could buy two houses for the cost of your car. That doesn't mean anything to me. But some people think buying cheap is the way to go. And uh, I can tell you, and I've told all of them, but buying cheap, you can go broke buying cheap. So be careful. two things about this complaint or this problem with newer investors is one, every time somebody says, I live in California, it's too expensive. I need to invest at a distance. <laughs> there is a big difference between Kern County and LA County. My brother has rentals in Rosemont, which is on the edge of Kern County or on, it's in Kern County on the edge between LA and Kern County. Um, properties are half the price there that they are in Washington and the rents are about the same. Exactly. in California. Yeah. So, but is the yield worth it? Exactly. So last year I was trying to stay at a certain threshold of how much that I spend. And luckily I watch one rental at a time mm. and I was watching interest rates go down. So that increased how much I would spend. And, and I missed several months where I wasn't thinking that way until one of your videos, you literally went over the math. Mm. That worked. I made an offer on a place for $525,000 for a triplex. It is a house with a duplex. Mm which is more money than I would have spent because my scarcity mindset said, you wanna buy cheap, cheap is affordable, cheap is what you can handle. The return on that triplex is 17% cash on cash. So not only is it a really good killer deal, it's a bigger deal. Yeah, 17% of a bigger amount. I don't know if you could do math, but bigger is bigger. Yeah, bigger is bigger, yeah. Uh, <laughs> right, so I'm, I'm ecstatic that my brain was able to break away from, it has to hit a certain cost yeah. instead of I want my return. Yeah, it's, it's all about yield. Yeah. And again, I, I, I always laugh when people say you can't, you, I can't invest in California. I'm like, have you read this book? There's this book right here. It, it's about an investor who invested in California. I'm just saying. 
Yeah, right. I digress. <laughs> Um, and I more power to you for investing in California. The 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 price of rentals isn't what keeps me out. Yes. Um, I grew up in Palmdale in Los Angeles. Uh, and when I left California, I told my friends and family, if you want me to come back, even if you want me at your funeral, you're going to have to come to Washington and die. <laughs> um, no desire to go back. <laughs> I get it. But okay. Um, so, sorry, kind of a segue there. It's all right. A problem that I think most of us have in the beginning is not running it like a business. Mm -hmm. I talked about renting to my friend and not having a lease, um, but this is huge. We think I'm just buying a property and I'm going to rent it out. That sounds fairly simple, but if you're not running it like a business, if you're not setting standards and what works best for me is I, I run a truck driving school and anytime I'm looking at a task, if I owned it, I don't know that I would do as good a job as I do knowing that I'm working for somebody else. Me providing value for the owners who have since then given me a percentage of the company because of my work ethic and some ideas that I had. But since I'm working for someone else, I perform at the best of my abilities because I need to provide value to earn my money. Looking at a rental property, if you think of it, if you were doing this for someone else, how would you do this? How would a property manager run this? What, you know, how would they communicate with tenants? What kind of leases would they put in place? What, what policies would they have ready for the problems that are going to come up? And when I started doing it that way, my uh, systems got down to a science so that I still self-manage hmm. even though I work full-time. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, it, this is a business. You are not, this is not a hobby. There's real money, real lives involved, people involved. It's definitely a business. So my last one is a pet peeve of mine. Uh, and actually, I write about it in my book. I actually believed it. I believed this last mistake hook, line, and sinker for three years, at least maybe even three and a half years. And it is a huge detriment, can take you to the wrong parts of town. And it is to, you know, I call it lazy. And this is the golden rule of the 1% rule. People talk about the 1% rule like it's nirvana. Like if it doesn't get 1%, I don't want it. The 1% rule is when not properly understood is actually very dangerous. Uh, it can take you to parts of town that are bad. It can take you to deals that don't cash flow because there's maybe a $500 HOA fee or something like that. But, oh, by the way, it's 1%. It's, I, I, I hate the rule. But again, I was a new investor. I got it. It like clicked in my head. It was like, oh, that makes, that makes really good sense. If I buy it for 100 grand, it's got to rent for 1,000 bucks. Got it. I could go look for that. But, you know, now I've seen people do it. I've seen people make mistakes. You know, heaven forbid the 2% rule, which I hear people parroting now. That will take you to an interesting part of town. Um, so just be careful. It's about yield, cash on cash. It's about knowing your market. Where do you want to invest, right? If you want to invest there, great, but maybe you don't, you know? So, so figure out where you're at, figure out what average is for your market, and then just try to do a little bit better than average. The 1% rule is uh, very dangerous in my opinion. You've been investing a lot longer than I have. I didn't start until after the 08 recession. You know, I was, I was tired of my sources of income being taken away. I got laid off from the police department. So I thought I'll get into investing now. Uh, made it to 40 without ever having a thousand dollars in the bank. 
So you've seen cycles where the 1% rule made sense. In 2010, there was so much inventory, you had to have some way of filtering through. Oh, yeah. So this is how important this is to me. I reached complete financial freedom in about eight years to where I never have to work again in my life. And my cash flow is twice my actual profit is twice what I was making as a police officer mm. and not one, not even my deal that's getting a 17% cash on cash return. Not one of them has hit the 1% rule. So if I was waiting for one of those deals to pop up and pop up in my market, I still wouldn't have a rental. Oh, um, well said. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Learn your market folks. Yeah, the one the 1% 1 rule has done more damage, prevented some people from starting and actually hurt others that did than frankly it's helped. It's a lazy rule which I wish would just disappear. If I could erase if I could erase it from, you know, bigger pockets lore, I would, but I can't. And my final problem that I run into with a lot of new investors is celebrating the wins. In the first few years, we do, we should, we don't always, but we should live kind of frugally. We should avoid life creep. Mm -hmm. We should be focusing on getting cash flowing assets to replace our cost of living expenses. But along the way, making sure that you're still enjoying life, taking trips, uh, buying things that you've wanted for a long time, figuring out that balance between and this will put me in further debt or this yeah. will delay how long I can invest. But making sure you take time to think, what do you do when you get a new place under contract or when you close on a new rental? Um, that is huge because yeah. you only get one life. And if this isn't fun, why bother? I'm so glad you brought this one up. I, I, again, in the book, One Rental at a Time, I have actually said it. I think I've done videos on it. My biggest regret. And, and regret's a dangerous word because you can't undo it, is I didn't celebrate the journey. I mean, and you don't have to do big things, right? If you're in the journey and you're sacrificing living below your means, need versus wants, just go take a I still don't have a picture of myself in front of my first five rentals, right? My whole, my whole life was built on those first four or five. I don't have a picture of them. I mean, could I go get them now? But that's not the point of getting them now. I should have had a picture of me at 30 in front of my first house and at 32 with the next house. <sighs> so, you know, it doesn't have to be big money, but celebrate, celebrate. Yeah. No, I call them touchstones. Have little memories that you can always recall. At the end of my video that comes up tomorrow or coming out on Sunday, May 9th, I will at the end of the video put up a picture of me in front of my properties. It's a little easier to do it when you have six properties <laughs> than when you have 180 units. <laughs> uh, but in all of these pictures, I'm wearing the same shirt. So it kind of looks like that guy wears the same clothes all of the time. But a couple of years ago in a book called One Rental at a Time, I heard Celebrating the Winds. Yeah. And then, you know, I thought I should have a picture of me in front of each of my properties. So in one day I drove to all of my properties, <laughs> took these pictures. That's awesome. Well, hey, folks, I hope you've enjoyed this list. You have another list coming out tomorrow. And just as a tease to stay to the end of Dion's video, he has a little giveaway at the end. And there's a super secret phrase that you should listen for. And uh, if you do, he has this little uh, rolly dice thing. He is going to use it to give away at least one and possibly two books. So Dion, man, thank you very much for doing this. I think this was a great idea. These collaborations are awesome. And I appreciate your time. Thank you very much.